Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning. It's good to see you all here today. As I was walking up, I was struck with the kindness of God to me. About a year, a little over a year ago, I had a breakdown uh, emotionally, physically, spiritually, came to the end of myself in a lot of ways, which is God's grace. And now, and I ended up taking three months of a leave of absence with the outcome of my future being uncertain as we were walking through that three-month leave of absence together now. And now here we are, and I just feel it's a huge gift from God that I get to serve our family in this way, and, and I believe that the Holy Spirit is using me and using our leaders and using us as a church to walk us through this process. Um, but as I was walking up, I was just thinking about how gracious and kind God is uh, to me to allow me to continue to serve you as a church family. So very thankful, very thankful to God for his grace. One of the things that I have been learning in the last year is some new ways of relating to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Often I'll bump into folks and they know that I've been through a rough time in the last year and they'll say, so, so how are you doing? And I'll say, well, I'm doing really well, and the main reason is because I'm learning new ways of relating. I'm careful to use that phrase over and over, to, mainly to remind myself, but also to be clear to others what has changed. I have new ways of relating with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So my circumstances are mainly the same, but the way I'm able to engage the circumstances and relate to Father, Son, and Spirit in the midst of my circumstances That has changed dramatically. Today, we want to talk about two ways of relating that I have learned in the last year, and I'm really encouraged by the fact that these ways of relating to Jesus specifically are rooted in the Scriptures. So these are not just like man-made tips and tricks that someone passed on to me that I've been able to put into practice and found to be helpful, and now I'm here to tell you about those. That's not the case. These are, these are things that are rooted in the very character and nature of Jesus. So that's where we're going in just a minute. But before we get there, I thought it would be helpful and encouraging to create a little time to hear from some of you, specifically around what we've been talking about the last two weeks. The five weeks before that, we talked a lot about wounds and brokenness. And we ask the Holy Spirit to help us identify places in our hearts where we were wounded and where we've experienced brokenness and where we've seen the ripple effects of those those deep impacts in our lives. But now, the last two weeks, we've been talking about how God actually engages us and how we engage Him as a healer. So two weeks ago, we talked about the Father heart of God. And last week, we talked about the presence of Jesus and particularly how He came to address both the deepest impact, the the cause of all the problems in the world, which is sin, but also to address its ripple effects through his earthly ministry and then through us as his people. So, what I'd love to hear, and we've got a mic raised ready to to run around the room here, to hear from from some of you, and so here's the questions. What has God been showing you, telling you, Revealing to you through the Word, through the Spirit, what's God been showing you or telling you about Him and His Father heart for you, or about Jesus as healer? So what has God been showing you or telling you about the Father heart of God, or about Jesus as healer? And I know there's some stories out there, so Holy Spirit, prompt those who you want to share to share right now. And we want this to be all about you. So does anybody have anything? That, what have you been shown or hearing about the Father heart of God or about Jesus as healer? In Genesis, when God saw, it was so bad on the earth that he decided to wipe out humanity except for Noah and his family. A verse sticks out that says, the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And in these in these last two weeks, that has become my reality. Like, my awareness to that reality has been heightened. And the Father's love 
that step down that deep, like further deeper, more wickedness than we can conceive. That's where Jesus went. And that is where God said, no, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I will root that out of eternity. And we truly stand with the God of all heaven and all earth and all things in this earth truly are under his authority. And wickedness doesn't get to win. Thank you, Rebecca. At nowhere is the Father heart of God seen more clearly than on the cross. There's, there's nowhere that Jesus entered into the fullness of what it meant to be a human, but then he actually became sin. So he goes to the depth of human wickedness. That because of the Father's love, the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And Jesus willingly died. That's amazing. Yeah. Who else? Have you been seeing or hearing about the Father heart of God or about Jesus as healer? Yeah. Is it on? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Abe, a couple of weeks ago, you'd shared um, that we shouldn't feel childish or silly or shameful to go to the Father and ask, um, ask for him to, to remind us that he loves us. And that was really um, very comforting for me to hear. And I really felt the Spirit really speaking, you know, through you about, to me about that particularly. Um, and even last night, I had this very vivid dream about a lot of things in my past and um, just feeling a lot of shame and guilt. And I, 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 you know, came to this place that I knew as home, and I just collapsed into the arms of my father. And um, it was just, it was really powerful because it, it to me, that, that image is what the world tells us is the most shameful thing for a, for a you know, grown man to, to do, but it's the only thing that the Father really wanted me to do in that moment. So um, I just feel like that's what I've been kind of living these past couple of weeks, um, trying to divulge, like, what, what is the Lord trying to tell me about who I am, what is my identity, and how do I go to him for comfort and, yeah, all those things. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, Josh. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Father, that that's true, that you want us to rest in your arms. That's very true. It's very true. There's nothing childish about that. We need the love of our Father all the time. So um, I just want to pick on Ray for a second. I've seen the Father's love uh, through him, specifically these last two weeks, and just the way that he has shepherded us in decisions and, and really just brought the Holy Spirit and you know, and then he'll say, oh, I, I talk too much. Sorry, guys. I'm like, no, 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 keep talking. God. It's, it's, it's amazing to see the Father's love through him um, in just the way that he shepherded us in, in a DNA and in our MC and just on the hilltop. It's been really amazing to see. And um, he just, you know, in our DNA a couple weeks ago, he just brought the question, like, um, with him and his son, you know, his, he's reminding his son that, like, he loves spending time with him. He loves being with him. And, you know, the son's like, his son Noah's like, oh, you do? And how we do the same thing with our Father, how we just sometimes forget that the Father loves spending time with us. And so it just, that stuck with me as I think about spending time with, with the Father. So, Amen. Thank you. That's so good. That's so good. Ray, we're thankful for you, brother. We're thankful for you. God brought Ray and his wife Yumi here from Houston, Texas. Uh, ultimately from Houston. You were in Dallas before that, weren't you? So, yeah, just to be a part of our family and God's doing some good work in them, so thank you. And, and the Father does minister His love through us, which is a huge, huge gift. The other thing I want to point out is, which is, relates to the last two things that were shared, please remember the difference between being childlike and being childish. Jesus says, you've got to come to me like a child. So be chi- it's okay to be childlike. In fact, it's good, it's right, it's in line with the gospel it's, it's, it's a response to Jesus to say, I'm childlike in my dependence on my father. That's different from being childish. You know, the first, the, the, when I first got saved about a decade ago, um, it was wild because I was sitting in the back of a small church in, in Houston. Um, and uh, the pastor, she, uh, she finished delivering the message and she looked back at me and she said, um, she said a lot of things that day, but she said, young man, I don't know who you are, uh, you know, but life has been hard up until this point. I was 24 at the time. And then she said, it's, it's going to get harder um, from this point on. And, um, you know, she wasn't lying. Uh, that was 10 years ago, ago now. And, um, 
I think the coolest thing, she said a lot of different things. She said, you know, about starting a business and all that stuff's coming to fruition now. Um, but the thing that I remember was life is going to, life has been hard for you up until this point. And the reason that was so, uh, so good and the reason I remember that so much is because it let me know that, like, of all the difficult things that I had been through, like, God was right there and he knew me. And, and he didn't consider me, um, you know, he considered me. The Bible says he considers us. So the hairs on my head counted, you know, and, and walking alongside me during very um, painful things. And more pain came. And um, I just think about um, Joseph a lot now and all the things, the, the amount of um, turmoil and, and, and tension that must have existed in his heart, especially at that point when his brothers came to him and, and he's standing before them and he has to go away and cry because he, you know, because he doesn't want, to, want them to see him weak in that moment. And um, the word that's been coming to mind a lot lately for me um, in terms of the father is just um, vindicated. And a father fights for his children and he lets them go through hard things for, for their good. And um, I just feel vindicated and I just, and I just thank God for Jesus and in this place, so. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you, brother. I'm glad you responded to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. We needed to hear that. I see George waving his hands in the back there. Um, <clears throat> first, I just want to encourage all of us. I've, I've had the privilege to uh, pray with a few of you. And uh, the thing I see that God using this time is he's, he's uh, giving us hope and an expectancy, and a, a desire to push towards some freedom. And so the story I wanted to say is I was praying for people one Sunday, and my daughter came to me, and she actually said, Dad, you've, you've sinned against me. And she was so scared to say that to me, uh, and she did. And uh, my, my heart, being wickedly human but in the moment, trusting God, I, I just felt compassion, so I acknowledged it, and I, I accepted that, and and we had a beautiful moment, and I got to pray for her. Uh, and then later, if I was on Instagram, I'd read this to you, but she wrote something that was so profound about, Dad, the pain was so big, and yet I moved through the pain, and I discovered mercy and grace and freedom. And she said, why wouldn't I want to press through pain? Why wouldn't I want to pursue freedom in life? And so... I believe that's a lot of what God's doing in our midst, guys. And it's awkward. It's uncomfortable. Um, and we don't want to do it. But, uh, gosh, I just see a lot of fruit just with the few individuals I've talked to. So let's keep pursuing Jesus. Thank you, George. Thank you. Yeah, I sense that, well, I think it's obvious that, that the Spirit is, is growing us as a church family and what it means to relate to him to understand and know Him as Father, Son, and Spirit. Is there anybody else? I don't want to cut it off. Yeah, Stephanie. So I work at a foster care agency, and a couple weeks ago um, I was, there was a young mom sitting in our lobby and just like sobbing and not understanding why her kids were in care. And it was just, it was really sad. <laughs> it was just really hard. And um, just knowing some of her story that she's just so lost and alone. And so, I don't know. That happens a lot, but we were here on the next Sunday, and we sang a song that, I don't remember, Brittany sang it, I don't remember what it was, but I just remember it was really cool, and I, did, I uh, the Lord just brought her to mind out of all of our families, and just realizing that she needs a home, and she needs a father, and she needs healing, and so it's just been cool going through this series and interacting with some of our clients, and just... I know it's brought to mind more like, okay, where are there specific wounds for those specific people? And how can I speak into that and, and my limited role in this and, um, and speak healing over them and affirmation that they do have been hurt and they do need healing and this is a hurtful time. And so, I don't know, I just was struck by this particular mom in our lobby and that following Sunday, so I just wanted to share that. Picture of what the, one of the main ideas of this this process is, this wounded healer process is that we comfort others with the comfort that we've received from God in all of our afflictions. And I, I want to keep reiterating 
that the reason that we're concerned with us as a church family and us as individuals experiencing healing from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is so that He would be clearly seen in us. Okay, this is not about our comfort primarily. Okay, though, frankly, that is an outcome, but it's primarily about you and I imaging Jesus Christ more clearly as we become whole, as Jesus heals our broken hearts. And out of that, we will minister to other people. And we'll walk around with different eyes. There's brokenness. There's wounds. The healing presence of Jesus is what this person needs. But what's so amazing is, as believers in Jesus, because we have the Spirit of God in us, we have the healing presence of Jesus in us and with us all the time. That's amazing. That is powerful. Uh, When I think about uh, the things we've been talking about the past couple weeks, I remember when you were writing up on the uh, whiteboard, the Father Heart of God, and there were the the four different sections. And I think most of them were like pretty well ingrained in my mind, but one that stuck out was that God's pleased with us. I think it's easy to remember that like God loves you because we're taught that like crazy, but I think often I believe at least that I have to like do certain things to for God to be pleased with me. And um, I don't know if that's because of stuff in my past, but I just I thought it was really encouraging to to be reminded that not only does God love us, but he's, um, he's pleased with us as well. Like, he's happy with us. He's not, like, this, um, like, loving. He's, he's, you know, he can be harsh at times, but not just loving and harsh and, like, unhappy with us. But, yes, yeah, he's happy with us. He likes, he's happy that we're his. So that's encouraging. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he, he delights in us. And the ultimate reason for that is because he delights in his son. So if, if the father looks at the son and has a smile on his face, and has delight in him, then that's exactly how he feels about you because you're united with Christ through faith in him. All right, Tim. Okay. We're, we can't uh, wait now, the anticipation. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was just thinking, it starts with a story. My daughter, five-year-old daughter, came the other morning, and she was kinda, I was kind of sitting, and she had her head right here in my head. Or my, her head on my kind of knee. And she goes, I wish I had a buckle. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I just want to strap my head here so I just never have to let go. <laughs> and I remember thinking, oh, man, I just love this girl. And as we've been thinking about the father heart of God and the entering into the family of God because of what Christ has done, I just, I just am learning over and over that we can trust God our father. And he loves us so much. And, um, I don't know, it's just, it's incredibly profound, and we need to, I forget it often, I try to uh, do things by my own strength instead of just trusting my Father first. And so that's what I'm learning, to trust Him with every situation first. I just want to buckle my head to His knee. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's great, Tim. Thank you. Keep, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Big part of childlikeness is dependence, Right? That's part of what it means to be a child, be dependent. Yeah, Katie. Okay, so recently, recently I've been uh, just overwhelmed with this imagery, and I think it very relates to what some of you have said, and even just Travis, brother, what you said about, I wish someone would have told me that it was going to be harder, right? And so as I've been entering healing, I've been getting this imagery of this huge, massive wave, just thrashy, just, you know, a, a one that overtakes you, and there's this song there's a couple lines in it by Jen Johnson with, with Bethel. And anyways, there's a couple lines. Um, uh, you know, she, there's imagery of her standing at the shore, and she's knee-deep, and Jesus is calling her out further. And she says, I'm knee-deep, but I'm not where I've never been before, basically. And so then she talks about this huge wave that overcomes her, and um, she's lost all control, but she's free. And so that's another line that keeps um, coming back to me. Um, but I think in the trusting part that, that this wave is going to beautifully overwhelm us, and it is. Life is thrashy and really hard, and I feel like the weight I feel in feeling that weight right now, the sin and the just reality. Um, but I just want to encourage us, and this I've been super encouraged by this, that, I mean, I think I'm even going to get a tattoo. That's how I feel like. It's so powerful of this just thrashy wave, and it overcomes us, right? And it just, I don't know if you've ever gone surfing in the tide or even rafting, and you get caught in that tide, and you just, you have to, you have to let go 
otherwise you, you, you'll struggle and you'll drown. So it's like this process of just letting go in this thrashy wave. So I think that Jesus is calling us. We're knee deep, but I think he wants to take us further walking out to him. I know he's calling me to that, but anyways, we can trust him and it's going to get harder and more thrashy. Mm. Thank you, Katie. Thank you so much. I personally recommend the, the spirit-led tattoo reminder idea. Um, I think it's good. Uh, also, I just want to say something about Katie, um, and I think it's appropriate in light of how I started with where I'm at now versus where I was a year ago. Katie, I love how you engage with the Father, Son, and Spirit through music. That's a big deal for you, and when we were on our three-month leave of absence, Katie was so faithful to be praying for Jen and I, and she would regularly send us songs like, hey, I found this song, I pray that this encourages your heart and encourages your spirit, and so I honestly, Katie, I think pretty regularly about like where I'm at now and I think about your faithful prayers. And I know there were many, many others. So I just want to like springboard off of the faithfulness that I know is in my sister's heart too to anyone else and, and many others who are praying for us. And I think like the fact that I'm standing here today, this is not about me, this is about the power of Jesus Christ, okay? But the fact that I'm standing here today and I'm about to talk about what I'm about to talk about is evidence that God is alive and that God answers prayer and that Jesus is real and that he rose from the dead, okay? And, and that's why we're here to celebrate on a Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. Christian, Christians have been doing it for 2,000 years. So that's the ultimate reason we're here is to say Jesus is alive. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just transition this via prayer. Brittany mentioned the election a second ago, and uh, we were praying in the office this week about some stuff, and, and Randy said, man, you should pray that on Sunday about the election. So I'm going to just pray a few things that the Spirit has really, really put on my heart uh, for, the, for the candidates and for the Church of Jesus uh, in light of what's coming up on Tuesday. So I'm going to pray about that and pray about the teaching and then, and then keep rolling. So, Holy Spirit, first I just pray you would come and, and be our teacher. Thank you for the Word of God, and thank you, Holy Spirit, that it is your job to shine a spotlight on Jesus Christ. I can't, I can't do that, but you can. So I pray you would take the words from my mouth, carry them to the hearts of my brothers and sisters, and carry them to the hearts of anyone who's in this room this morning who has not yet placed their faith in Jesus that they would see Jesus for who he really is, and that they would trust in him. And Father, thank you for the good work that you are doing in our church family. So many stories of things that you're doing, and we just stop and we say, thank you, you're good. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. And Spirit, you know you've convicted me through the word of God that I'm, that I'm to love my neighbor, and I'm to love my enemies, and First Timothy, I'm to pray for kings and for those who are in authority and to live a life of peace. And so on the basis of that, I want to pray that you would bless Donald Trump. And I want to pray that you would bless Hillary Clinton. I pray you would bless them like crazy. I pray you would lead them to, to understand who Jesus is. I don't know their hearts, but... but if they don't know Jesus, that they would trust in Jesus. If they already do, that they, you would lead them into more and more and more faith in Jesus Christ. That you would bless them spiritually. That you would bless them relationally. And you put friends around them who love them, who want to serve them. I pray you would give them the gift of repentance. That they would push away sin and every encumbrance that hinders them. Hebrews 12, and that they would run with endurance the race set before them, that they would cling to Jesus, that they'd be childlike. I pray you'd give them humility. I pray you'd give them humility to serve. I pray that would be their posture, that they would want to be people who serve, and that they would see Jesus as the ultimate servant, the one who had all authority and power in the whole universe, way more power and authority than any political office has to offer, and yet he laid down his life and said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. So right now, would you infuse a spirit of servanthood into these, into these people, into these candidates? And I pray, Lord Jesus Christ, that your church would, would pursue unity in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.3. And we would 
we would diligently pursue a spirit of unity and the bond of peace that we wouldn't let politics or allegiance to a person or a political party or any of that, that we wouldn't let that come between us, but that we would be united in Jesus. Because love for Jesus and love for his church is far more important than what's going on politically. It's far more important. Jesus and his church is going to last forever. Brotherhood and sisterhood in Christ is going to last forever. So I pray that as Tuesday comes, I pray that our hearts would be filled with peace because we know that we serve a God who is in control and is on the throne. And we don't have to worry. Help us to engage as citizens in whatever way you lead us to engage, Holy Spirit. But let us do that from a place of faith and with great peace in our hearts. So we thank you for this country. Thank you for the freedoms that we have. It's such a blessing. It's such a blessing. Um, But it's more of a blessing to be in your family. It's more of a blessing to be in your family. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So we talked about these two ways of relating to Jesus specifically that I've been learning about. And in terms of healing... Before we get into these two ways of relating, I just want to point out that these two ways of relating to Jesus are going to address your need for healing from wounds in the past and wounds in the present. Okay, Everything we're talking about with Father, Son, and Spirit involves past and present, but the stuff we're going to talk about right now is really, really, really relevant not only to those deep wounds of your past, but also to all the little, little things that happen every single day. So the first reality we want to talk about is Jesus as our sympathetic high priest. This is in Hebrews chapter 4. If you have a Bible, turn to Hebrews. If not, the passages are going to show up on the screen. So the book of Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians who are tempted to abandon the faith because of persecution. That's the context for the whole book. Jewish Christians who are tempted to abandon the faith, that is say, nope, I actually don't want to follow Jesus anymore because they're being persecuted for their faith. That's the context. So these are people who know a lot about the Old Testament and a lot about the sacrificial system and about priesthood and about the tabernacle and about sacrifices and all that stuff. So we're actually going to start with chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, where the writer to the Hebrews explains a couple key things about priesthood, and then we're actually going to jump back up to chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, and read about Jesus, our high priest. But because we're not Jewish, most of us, and and, and Probably even if we were, we, we wouldn't be engaged in a sacrificial system with a priest and a representative and all that sort of thing. We need to kind of begin to understand a little bit about priesthood before we can understand what it means to have Jesus as our high priest. So, if he's, or, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. So there's a couple key things about priesthood in that verse that you need to understand. First of all, a priest is chosen from among the people whom he will represent. Okay, so a priest ends up being a representative between a group of people and, and God. So he's like a mediator. He's a middleman. He's a go-between, but the priest is chosen from among the people. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, he's a mediator between the people and God. And then the third thing is the specific way that he mediates between people and God is through sacrifices. So the priest is part of the group of people and he brings sacrifices and he offers them to God and that's the way that he mediates between the people and God. He allows relationship between the people and God to happen through sacrifice, okay? He can gently deal with the ignorant and wayward, this is an earthly human high priest, since he himself is beset 
with weakness. So he came from the group of people to be a mediator to God, but he understands what it's like to be sinful and broken because he's part of the group of people who are sinful and broken. So he gets it. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of the people. So this human priest who comes from among the people and offers sacrifices to God, he also has to offer sacrifices for himself because he himself is sinful and broken. Now, we go back up to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. So he's actually, at the end of chapter 4, come to the end of this long argument where he's pointing out that Jesus is a high priest for us. So we take what we learned from chapter 5 and we go, oh, what that means is Jesus came from among us, because he's human, right? He's fully human. And he came from among us to be a mediator to God. And he did that through sacrifices, okay? But the sacrifices that he offered weren't bulls and goats. What's the sacrifice that Jesus offered as a priest to God to make relationship between humans and God possible? The sacrifice was his own life. Very different from every other priest. So we have this high priest, Jesus the Son of God. Since we have a high priest who came from among us, offered a perfect sacrifice to make relationship with God possible, what should we do? There's two, two instructions in, in Hebrews 4. First, let us hold fast our confession. Hold fast appears throughout Hebrews. It means don't give up the faith. Hang on to your faith. Look, look why would you cash in your faith when, and go back to just only being Jewish and not being a Jewish Christian when you have a far better high priest in Jesus than you ever had as a Jew? Why would you give that up? For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. And we'll come back to that. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Here's the second implication. Let us hold fast to our confession and let us draw near with confidence. Look, if Jesus came from among you, offered a sacrifice so you could be in relationship with God, what should you do? Be in relationship with God. He made it possible. Come before the throne of grace that we may find mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So how did Jesus become a sympathetic high priest for us? He became fully human so he could represent us. And he brought the ultimate sacrifice, his very life before God. He mediated between humans and God and made relationship possible by laying down his very life for us on the cross. That is how he became a sympathetic high priest. That is how he actually does away now with the need for priests on planet earth. You don't need a priest anymore because you already have the best priest ever, Jesus Christ. But what does it say about him specifically as a high priest here in Hebrews chapter 4? It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's a double negative. Sometimes it helps me to understand a double negative if I get rid of the two negatives because they cancel each other out, right? We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Take, take the negatives out. What does it say? We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. You have a sympathetic high priest Because he was a human and he walked in your shoes and he was tempted in every way, though he didn't sin, and he offered his life so you could be in relationship with God. What does the word sympathetic mean? What does the word sympathy mean? Well, if you break it apart, it's actually a Greek word. It literally means feeling with or feeling together. Feeling together. It's different from empathy. Empathy means to feel feel in. And sympathy means to feel with. An easy way to think about it is, if, if I've had the, the same experience that you have had, if I feel the same pain that you feel, that, then that means I'm empathetic. But if I don't quite understand the exact pain that you felt, but I want to sit with you, then I'm sympathetic. Okay? Compassion and sympathy almost mean the exact same thing. Compassion is like to feel with. Okay? 
I looked it up in the dictionary. Here's a couple dictionary definitions. Harmony or agreement in feeling. The fact or power of sharing the feelings of another, especially in sorrow or trouble. So I just want to point out, and then I'm going to tell you a story. I want to point out, Jesus is with you in your sorrow and in your pain and in your feelings. He's with you. Because the Bible says he is able to sympathize, literally feel together with you. I'll talk in a minute about the implications of that and what that means for you day to day. But first I want to tell you a story about sympathy. It became way more real to me yesterday in a way I'm not sure if I've ever ever experienced before. Uh, A few of us were at an event that was kind of around like prayer and healing and deliverance. And Randy and I were both there. Lisa was there and the Spiros were there and the Sheffies were there. And there was one part where the gentleman who was leading the day was talking about abuse, specifically about abuse in your past. And he went through a pretty detailed description of sexual abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse, and neglect. I mean, he spelled it all out in, in detail that was actually quite painful to hear. And I happen to be sitting right next to Randy at this point, and, and a pretty significant part of his story is that he has experienced, he experienced abuse, uh, particularly from his father growing up. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm beginning to sort of feel the weight of this, and the man begins to pray through some of these things and, and kind of takes the place of the abuser, and he's like speaking an apology over all the people in the room who've been abused. And as he's doing that, I'm beginning to feel more and more the weight. And, um, and all of a sudden, it just came over me, this huge feeling of grief and sadness for, for, for Randy, specifically. And in a way that, again, I'm not sure if I've ever experienced this before. It was like I, I was feeling the sadness that he was feeling, or at least something of it. Now... What was ironic, and why I think this is a perfect example of sympathy versus empathy, as that guy was unpacking all those abuse things, I kept waiting to go like, okay, like, maybe there's something I'm unaware of or something I'm missing, and, and like, what, how do I need to be healed from this? And he went through it, and I honestly, honestly felt like none of it applied to me. And, and so what he led me to is just say, hallelujah, what crazy grace is that, that a person could not experience any of those things? And I just... I say, by God's grace, I feel like that's true of me. My story is more about like what I missed out on from my parents than like them being abusive, right? Which is also painful. It's just different. So I wasn't feeling any of that pain personally, but just a wave of grief and sadness came over me. And I put my hand on Randy and I gave him a hug and we just started weeping together. Just weeping together. And I, 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 later in the day, I felt like, Maybe that's a little tiny picture, and I want to exalt Jesus, not myself here. Maybe that's a little tiny picture of what Jesus does with us in our pain, right? Because if I, as a broken human who has Jesus Christ in me, can enter into a sympathetic moment like that with my brother, then how much more must Jesus be able to do that, right? And he knows all of your pain. And I believe he's both sympathetic and empathetic. Because if you look through his story, he knows betrayal, he knows rejection, he knows false accusation, he knows injustice, he knows loneliness, he knows abandonment. Isaiah 53 says he's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. So what does this practically mean for us? Well, I'll share with you how it's worked itself out in my life. At the, towards the beginning of my journey over the last year, I became aware that I was generally skeptical of emotions. In fact, I wrote this down in a book. I'm generally skeptical of emotions. They're not always valid and are often sinful. That was my take on emotions. For years, I had been praying, Father, heal my tear ducts. Because there's something wrong. Like, I, don't, I hardly ever cried. And I'll just tell you, like, let the cat out of the bag. Like, he's answered that prayer. He's answered that prayer. Yesterday didn't feel unfamiliar, it actually felt familiar because of what God's been doing in me. So, I have this broken picture of emotions. 
skeptical, often sinful, but what's the truth about our emotions? What does the Bible actually teach about emotions? I believe the Bible teaches that emotions are a gift from God to be stewarded. Your emotions are a gift. Have you ever thought of your emotions that way? Honestly, I hadn't. Your emotions are a gift. They're a gift from God. They're part of what it is to be made in the image of God. Right? He's a person. You're a person. Mind, emotions, will. That's what anthropologists define as personhood. Mind, emotions, and will. God's a person. He has emotions. You're a person. You're made in the image of God. If you look through the Bible, you find that God feels joy. He feels grief. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. He feels jealousy. He feels anger. The list could go on and on. Jesus himself, Matthew 26, 38, who's fully God. He says, my soul is very sorrowful. This is right before he dies. This is in the garden of Gethsemane. Even to death. God the Father, God the Son. They have emotion. Your emotions are a gift. I think emotions are the language of the soul. Emotions are the language of the soul. And again, that's not me. Like you could read, you could read psychology books, you could read anthropology books, you can read theology books, you can read commentaries. Most agree the soul is like the seed of emotions, right? And then literally this morning, I'm walking and praying about this morning, and the Holy Spirit brings the greatest commandment to my mind, which is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. So here's the deal. When we get honest with God, that's the huge key. Underline those two words. When we get honest with God about our emotions, I think that's how we love God with our soul. We actually love God with our soul when we come to Him like the psalmist and we say, why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, right? If you look through the Psalms, you'll find distress, guilt, anguish, anger, fear, horror, restlessness, weariness, despair, betrayal, loneliness, abandonment, love, thankfulness, gladness, joy, hope. All of those, most of them explicitly named in the book of Psalms. But what's unique about the Psalms, it's not navel-gazing. It's not like, oh man, I'm so bummed out, man, my life's a bunch of crap, like this is horrible, I'm so sad. It's, it's, it's taking that, but it's looking up as you say that. That's a massive difference. That's a massive difference. But the Bible invites us to do that. And when we process our emotions with God, we're, we're not only worshiping God, we're actually embracing our emotions as the gift that they are instead of doing one of two things. One, bowing down to them as an idol. I'm ruled by emotions. I make decisions based on my emotions. I'm completely governed by my emotions. I just speak everything that I feel. It's like, oh, your emotions are God then. They're not submitted to God. They are God. But all the way on the other side is to say, no, I have no use for emotions. They're bad. I don't traffic in that at all. That's not good either. That's not a gift. So here's what I've been doing. I've been walking with Jesus around the block with my dog. And I've been saying, here's the question. You can write it down. Holy Spirit, how do I feel? Because see, I haven't trafficked very much in emotion. Like emotional identification and articulation hasn't been a real part of my life. And by the way, we learn a lot about emotions based in our family of origin. There's, there's a message that's sent about emotions, and I could tell you all about that if you want to hear it. But, so you ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me identify how I'm feeling. And then our counselors in Indiana said, just bring those before God, right? So you're submitted. Bring those before God, but don't, don't analyze or judge them right away. Because that's my first instinct, Right? I'm feeling this way, God. Oh, that's bad. I shouldn't be feeling that way. What do I need to repent of? Right? But just bring it before him. He can handle it. He can handle it. I mean, read the book of Psalms. The Psalms doesn't hold back. Right? So bring it before him. Submit it. Holy Spirit, how do I feel? I feel this way. Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that instead of me going right to judgment mode. Okay? So this has been a new thing for me, and one of the things that Jesus will do is he'll put his arm around me as we're walking down the sidewalk, and he'll say, wow, I know exactly how you feel. 
I know exactly how you feel. And I want to tell you, if you go back into your story and you start to dig through stuff and you talk about how you feel about some of those scenes, which I think is important, okay? Emotions are a gift from God. Let's worship God with all of our soul, right? Talk about how you feel. Or you go for a walk and you go, how am I feeling today? Just the simple fact of Jesus throwing his arm around you and saying, I know exactly how you feel. For me, that alone is very healing. That alone is very healing. But he'll usually take me past that. Sometimes he takes me on to prayer. Oh, you're feeling this way about this situation? Why don't you talk to me about it? Give it up to me. Sometimes he'll remind me of a scene in his story about how he feels that pain with me in the the moment. Sometimes he'll show me how, like, if I feel pain from a person, if I feel rejection or if I feel dishonored, and I talk to Jesus, I say, Jesus, I feel dishonored. He'll say, yeah, I know. I know what it means to feel dishonored. And we'll talk about that for a while. And then he'll say, very gently, Abe, did you know you've dishonored me? And part of the reason I feel dishonored is because you've dishonored me. And I go, oh, Jesus, that's so true. And do you know what that does then in my heart for the other person who dishonored me? It makes me want to forgive him. Right? Because if Jesus tells me I dishonored him, immediately I go, oh, wow, thank you. I need your forgiveness for that. And now I gladly want to extend that to the person who dishonored me. Because it's a much smaller thing for me to for them to dishonor me than it is for me to dishonor you, Jesus. So a question that our counselors gave us that I've been trying to ask on a regular basis is just, Holy Spirit, how do I feel? Holy Spirit, how do I feel? They told me, ask yourself that two times a day. And then then they said, and once a day, ask someone else, how are you feeling? And almost always a person will not respond with an emotional word. How are you feeling? Oh, tired. How are you feeling? Oh, pretty good. How are you feeling? Oh, a little sick, a little under the weather. We, we usually go to like physical or maybe mental how we're doing, but we don't respond with emotional. So as a staff, as a missional community, the guys I hang out with in, our, in my DNA, we've been trying to traffic in this. And I'll tell you, it's uncomfortable. We're not used to talking about these things. Okay? In fact, we had to look up online the wheel of emotions just to get a list of like, hmm, what are some emotional words? I don't have very many. So now I hear in my mind, you know, the old Wheel of Fortune jingle, or not a jingle, but Wheel of Fortune. Right now I hear Wheel of Emotions. It's a little cheesy, but I hear that over and over in my head. So today when you go to lunch, I have a little challenge for you. If you feel led by the Spirit to do this, first of all, consider sitting with someone you don't know. Just consider that. It's a way to connect and be family. Consider sitting with someone you don't know. It would be so easy for all of us to sit with people we do know. And the 40 people in here who don't know anybody, they'll be left out. So consider sitting with someone you don't know. And then consider asking, so how do you feel? Just, just a thought. Okay, second thing, Jesus is good shepherd. This one is much more brief. John chapter 10. Jesus, the good shepherd. Several I am statements in John's gospel. You have a Bible, turn to John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 7 through 16. There are many places in the Old Testament that talk about God being a shepherd. Psalm 23 is the most well-known one. The Lord is my shepherd. We'll talk about that in a minute. Ezekiel 34, 15. Isaiah, I'm skipping ahead here, just a, just a couple slides. Ezekiel 34, 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God, it's a prophecy. I'm going to come and be a shepherd for my people. And Jesus in John 10 says, I'm a fulfillment of all these promises in the Old Testament. John chapter 10, verses 7 through 16. Verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Those are probably false messiahs he's referring to. I am the door of the If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. 
He flees because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Do you hear the tenderness here? If you're a, part, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is all true about you. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's the same kind of intimacy we have with Jesus. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's talking about the Gentiles right now. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So when I first read this passage, and for years when I thought about this passage, I thought that when Jesus said, I'm the door, I pictured an actual physical like, gate that would open into like, either a large sheep pen, or maybe somehow you'd have like, a fence that was sectioning off a, a large pasture, but there was a physical gate. Well, I started doing some research and found that when Jesus says, I am the door, and I am the good shepherd... It's actually the same thing. So he's not a gate and a shepherd. The shepherd is the gate. I want to show you how this works. Here's some pictures um, of some sheepfolds from the one on the left is in the UK somewhere, I believe. The one on the right is in Nazareth. So you can see on the left here this little sheep pen. And there's tons of these pictures online. You can go find them. And you can see there's actually no physical gate there. Okay? And the reason is because, like this man on the right, and you can see this kind of makeshift sheep pen, and there's actually some sheep hanging out in there. And the shepherd is the door. And so what would happen is, they would have their sheep like out in the pasture during the day, and at night they would bring them into these sheep folds. And sometimes the sheep folds were in the city too, and so different people would put their sheep in there, which is why he says, my sheep know my voice. Because at night they'd go lay down in there and in the morning one shepherd would wake up and go, hey, everybody come here. And his sheep would follow him out. But what the shepherd would do is he would actually lay down in that doorway and sleep there to keep the sheep in. And at night when the sheep would come in, he would inspect them and make sure that they, all, that they looked good, that they didn't sustain any injuries during the day and that they weren't getting sick. And so there's this, there's this very cool picture of protection and intimacy And so Jesus is saying, like, you have to go through me as the door in order to have me as your shepherd. So as with the sympathetic high priest, the very way that Jesus becomes the good shepherd for us is first by becoming the Lamb of God who who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus becomes the shepherd by first becoming a sheep. A sheep who is born to die. And he becomes the perfect sacrifice for you and for me. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the perfect Passover Lamb whose blood was shed for you. His blood was smeared on a wooden cross so that death would pass over you and you would be spared and you would be saved and you would be actually brought into God's flock. So listen, if you want Jesus as your sympathetic high priest this morning, if you want Jesus as your good shepherd this morning, faith in him and in his sacrifice for you is the only way. All this beauty of relating to Jesus in these ways is available to every human on planet earth, but only through faith in Jesus. Only through faith in Jesus. So if you haven't trusted in Jesus, but you want a shepherd to guide you and lead you and care for you and protect you, faith in Jesus is the only way. Doing good works is not going to make it happen. Okay? If you want a sympathetic high priest, you can throw his arm around you, walk around the block and say, I know exactly how you feel. You have to accept the fact that he sacrificed his life for you and all your sacrifices you're bringing are not going to get it done. So practically, what does it mean to have Jesus as our good shepherd? Well, one of the things that the guys in Indiana identified in my heart was what they called exaggerated caretaking. They said, Abe, you were designed by God to be a caretaker, to think about other people, to care for other people's interests. That's That's a unique thing about you. And... Yet, because of some things that happened early on, a message got sent to you that your worth and value and significance was determined through, through your ability to care for people. So you exaggerated your caretaking to find an identity for yourself. And so they said, what, what you're going to have to like, relearn is how to actually look at Jesus as the ultimate caretaker for all the people in your life. 
and that your caretaking is submitted to him as the perfect caretaker. So they came up with this word of relinquishing. Uh, you, to use a biblical phrase, you could, you, you could go 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. It's the same idea. Okay? So for those of you in the room who care deeply for people, please pay attention to what we're talking about right now. Because when you get into caring for people, I'm guessing you probably feel the same way I do. Your soul begins to actually get crushed by the weight that you and I take on and say, it's my responsibility. I've got to take care, for, care of this person. And if you're here and you don't care about people, then you're good. Okay? None of this applies to you. So, um, the Spirit revealed to me that there were people in my past who I was still taking responsibility for. Here's this kind of a strange one. I dated a girl in high school for four years. I uh, thought I was going to marry her. And didn't end up marrying her. Her name is not Jennifer. And uh, so broke up with her. Went off to Bible college. Met my wife. Got married. And I have felt really bad. Felt like I kind of like broke this girl's heart and like crushed her, right? And uh, even when we were in Indiana and the guys there were asking me to tell my story, I told my story and, um, and got to that part and said that exact thing. Like, yeah, this is what happened and ended up breaking it off with this girl. And like, I just I feel really bad about that. And the spirit like started digging around in there and he said like, do you feel like you still have to like make sure that that person's okay? And I, I said, well, I, I guess I kind of do in a weird sort of way, even though I think we've traded emails once in like 20 years, right? So there's nothing I'm actually physically doing to make sure that that's happening, but I feel this weight that I'm carrying around. And the same with my mom. And so he's like, you got to like, you got to give that stuff up to me. And I want to tell you, there's a freedom that I have now that I didn't have before. Because the Holy Spirit put his finger on that and I'm able to say, Jesus, this person's yours. You are the good shepherd. And now, day by day, as I walk through my day, and I have meetings or phone calls or emails or I hear about stuff, sometimes it's on the news or sometimes it's projects I'm working on, there's either people or situations and it's like a little teeny tiny weight gets, gets added to the scales of my heart. We've got a picture here, some scales. So this is an antique scale. And you can see in the box there, maybe you can see all these little different weights. And there's teeny, teeny, tiny ones. And even smaller than that, like imagine just a few like granules of like sand getting put on the weight of your heart. It's barely noticeable. But if you go like five months of that getting added on there, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit every single day, now, now guess what happens? You start to feel weighed down. So every day I try to ask Jesus, what do you want me to relinquish to you today? How do you want me to sweep the granules of sand off the scale of my heart so I can be free? And so, I mean, you, wouldn't ima- I mean, you can imagine all the stuff it would be my kids and finances in our church and our city and our country. I mean, a- almost anything and everything, I sense this little weight. And so what I do is a guys in Indiana said, you should come up with a very physical, tangible practice for relinquishing. And so Spirit gave me this idea. I stand in my bathroom, and I stand right by the doorway, because Jesus is the doorway, and, and I'll, I'll stand in there, and I'll imagine, like, picking up the sheep. Like, so I have, you know, I have my wife. And I'll say, okay, Jesus, here's this, this lamb, and I'm going to actually, like, step through the doorway into the green pastures where only you could lead this person. And I'll literally like, like bend over and like set them down. And as I'm doing that, I'll pray Psalm 23. Um, Jesus, would you make Jen lie down in green pastures? Jesus, would you lead her beside quiet waters? Jesus, would you restore her soul? Would you guide her in paths of righteousness for your name's sake? Would your goodness and mercy follow her all the days of her life? Would she dwell in the house of the Lord forever? And just pray Psalm 23 for, for my wife. And that's the psalm and that's the practice that God's given me. It could look very different for you. But this idea of relinquishing and saying, Jesus, you are the good shepherd who laid down your life for the sheep. Now I want to end with one thought and then I'm going to guide us in a little prayer. Here's the idea. With both of these pictures... Sympathetic high priest and Jesus' good shepherd, we're confronted with our need. A person, uh, 
the, the Bible repeatedly says that we're sheep. Isaiah 53, 6, Brittany read it earlier. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It's unflattering that we're compared to sheep. Historians and theologians agree. We are compared to sheep because sheep are almost completely helpless without a shepherd. So if you're here this morning and you're like, "Ah, I'm not sure if I need a shepherd. The Bible says you do. You need a shepherd. You need someone looking out for you, someone to take care of you. And if you think, I'm not sure if I need a high priest, well, the Bible says, 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one God and there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. You need a mediator. You need someone who can bring you to God. So engaging these practices is first an admission of our need. So what I want to do just for a few minutes here, I want to lead you in a prayer time through this, and then we'll close with a song and communion. I want to lead you in a prayer time through this. And I want to, so rather than have an opportunity for people to move around the room and pray or stand up and ask for prayer, I'm going to guide us all in a prayer together. And so if you're not connecting with this at all, then you can just sit and be quiet for the next couple minutes. But if you want to begin to engage Jesus as sympathetic high priest and good shepherd, then just right where you're at, you can just close your eyes. And I believe that Jesus is going to come and he's going to minister to a lot of you in the room right now. So I'm just going to walk us through a prayer. I'll say some things and then I'll leave some space for the Holy Spirit to speak. And then I'll just keep kind of guiding us along. Okay, so it'll be just a guided prayer. All of us are going to pray on our own right in our seats. Okay, so Holy Spirit, would you come? Make Jesus real to us right now. Reveal him as sympathetic high priest and good shepherd. Father, we thank you for the gift of emotions. We understand that we've made a God out of them many times, and we understand that we have discarded them and treated them not as a gift. We repent of that, and we, we push away the idol of emotions. We push away the ignorance of emotions, and instead we want to receive them as a gift from you. It's part of who you are. It's part of who we are. So Holy Spirit, right now, would you reveal one emotional word to each of us in the room? Holy Spirit, tell us, show us how we're feeling. Help us identify how we're feeling. And now without any condemnation or uh, feelings of guilt or shame, we, we sort of bring that before you. We hold it out before you, Jesus, and we say, Jesus, sympathetic high priest, you're with me in my feelings. That's what the word means. This is how I'm feeling. I'm feeling this way, Jesus. I want to submit to you. These emotions are a gift. They help me worship you with my soul. This is how I'm feeling, Jesus. And now, Jesus, would you please come and speak whatever you want to speak to all of the people in this room who know you, all of the men and women in this room who know you, Jesus. Would you come and speak to that emotion that they're expressing before you right now? Holy Spirit, if there's any, if there's any conviction you want to bring along with that, we open ourselves up to that. We don't want to condemn ourselves, and you don't condemn us, but you do convict us, Holy Spirit. So if there's anything you want to say about that, if there's any repentance to lead us to, would you do that now, Holy Spirit? And if there's any forgiveness we need to extend to others, Jesus, lead us into that forgiveness. We're reminded of how we have impacted you with our sin and of the rich forgiveness you've given us. We want to extend forgiveness to others right now if it's needed. Jesus, come and seal this work that you're doing in our hearts. Train us. Remind us to ask this question. Help us write it down in a place where we'll see it. So many of us don't engage you as sympathetic high priests, but that's what the Bible, that's who the Bible says you are. We want to learn to love you with our souls. And now, Holy Spirit, would you identify someone that you want us to relinquish? A burden we've been carrying. An undue burden a yoke that's not from you, a care that you want us to cast upon you. It could be a person, could be a situation. Holy Spirit, what do you want us to relinquish to Jesus? And now, Jesus, we want to pray Psalm 23, and we want to take this little, this little lamb that you've identified, and we want to, to put this little lamb out into the, to the green pastures of your care. So, Jesus, we pray that you would lead this person or this situation beside your quiet waters. Pray that you would make this person 
lie down in green pastures, that you would restore their soul, that you would guide them in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray that even though this person walks through the valley in the shadow of death, that they would fear no evil because you are with them. Would your rod and staff bring comfort to this person or in the midst of this situation? Would you prepare a table before them in the presence of their enemies? Would you anoint their head with oil? Would their cup overflow? Would your goodness and mercy follow them all the days of their life? And may they dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, we relinquish these people and these situations to you. And to your care, you're the door and you're the good shepherd. And Holy Spirit, would you remind us, and we write it down, Holy Spirit, who or what do you want me to relinquish to give into your care? You're the good shepherd. Would you bring healing and freedom? In Jesus' name, amen.